welcome to the FEMA podcast. My name is Jeff Markham, and today I'm here with Mark Carey, a veteran of the National Flood Insurance Program in the Hazard Mitigation Division here at FEMA Region 10. Since 2007, Mark has served as the Mitigation Division Director for the region. In this role, he is responsible for the region's various hazard mitigation grant programs, National Flood Insurance Program, Endangered Species Act compliance, and risk analysis and risk reduction efforts. Prior to his current role, Mark served in other capacities at FEMA, with local government, and with the U.S. Forest Service. With all of this experience, it's perhaps no surprise that Mark will be retiring soon. Before he does, though, we wanted to sit down with him to discuss his experience working for FEMA and helping to spread the good word of mitigation. Welcome, Mark. Thanks, Jeff. I'm happy to be here. So that introduction gave the audience a bit of information about your career background. I wonder if you can tell us a bit about your history growing up. Well, that's a good question. Uh, I uh, am excited about my <laughs> upcoming retirement, but uh, you know, looking back at it, I really grew up in a in a government household where working in public service was really viewed among my entire family as among the highest calling a, a person could achieve. Uh, my father, my grandfather, was a police officer. My father was career military. Uh, my older brother is a retired FBI agent, and my own son uh, has been with FEMA for over 10 years. So uh, my background really grew up in one of, of, of public service and uh, government employment. There are lots of career paths within, uh, within government service. How did you come to choose emergency management as yours? Well, I think like a lot of uh, FEMA employees, uh, my first experience with emergency management was when I first came to work for FEMA. Uh, all, and I think that's changed over time. If you, We have more emergency management programs in, in colleges and universities. And, but I really found my education and planning and my prior experience in land use planning uh, was really a, a perfect fit for for uh, my my twenty year career in emergency management. And I remember at the local level all those years we would hold our uh, planning commission board of adjustment meetings in a big conference room that had the initials of EOC on it. And all those years I never understood uh, what the acronym EOC stood for until I came for FEMA and understood it stood for Emergency Operations Center. So uh, that's really, I was really relatively new to emergency management before being hired on at FEMA in in 2000. Would you say that uh, nowadays there's a bit more cross-pollination where folks at the local level would know what EOC means and emergency management has more has its hands more in all levels of government. Oh, certainly. I, I you know, I, I again, I think that we're getting better trained emergency managers uh, into the agencies. There's more uh, technical programs, and certainly more universities that uh, are uh, educating students in the world of emergency management, the incident command system, how Stafford Act programs work and are implemented. Uh, you know, it wasn't so 20, 30 years ago. And uh, we're seeing actually much better trained uh, staff members coming from either state or local government emergency management into the federal system. So I know here at FEMA, we have uh, several divisions. We have uh, the response division and recovery division. We have national preparedness. You spent your entire career working in mitigation. Can you perhaps explain a little better to our audience what mitigation is and why that that arm of FEMA is appealing to you? Well, it's a strange term, right? Uh, yeah. m- most people really don't, man on the street, you ask them for a definition of mitigation, and uh, they may struggle with it a bit. I really look at uh, mitigation as really simply a series of sustained actions that seek to manage the consequences of risk and hazards. As the planning process really teaches us, uh, mitigation is really the ability to first identify the risk, 
and uh, assess its importance and all our vulnerability to that risk because not all risks are, are treated equal. So some risk we can absorb parks and floodplains, golf courses and floodplains. It's a risk, but it's an acceptable risk. So we have to assess the risk. Uh, then uh, we commit to a series of sustained and deliberative actions to identify and prioritize those risks and then loop back from there and monitor to see how well we're doing over time. And uh, I know a program you worked uh, with me, Jeff, in mitigation is taking a look at the lessons we've learned from the past and mitigation projects that we had accomplished. Were they really successful when the next flood or the hurricane rolled through? And I think that's really important to mitigation success. Uh, my own personal side of it, uh, you know, I worked in the mitigation grant programs for several years and uh, the most satisfying thing was being able to help make communities stronger. And, and when, we, when we would go back years later and, and those, th those uh, projects were tested, it was very gratifying to see that that was money and time well spent both for, for us at FEMA and for the, the community. Well, and I've said for years that mitigation's ultimate objective is reduce the burden upon having to have a response and a recovery because uh, you've worked with me out in the field on a number of disasters. We've met with community groups, and I've taken them through a process where I think about if they could daydream into the future, if we would have had the same flood that we had two weeks ago and nothing got damaged, what would you have said that the steps we took to achieve that and get them thinking in those terms? So you've been in mitigation for, um, when did you start? 90? 2000. 2000, okay. Yeah, 20 years. So how have you seen mitigation's role in emergency management change over that time? Well, in the past 20 years, it's become more and more important. And really, it's uh, to me, it's just simple math. Uh, you, you have a growing population and you have a changing climate. And you put those two things together and uh, or having bigger disasters and they're more frequent in time, as we both know, working for FEMA. Um, but what's exciting really about mitigation is uh, our ability uh, to assess risk has never been greater. So we've got greater technology, we've got a greater database, we've got more time, we've got more experience that we know what we've seen before, uh, and, and that's unprecedented. Uh, and then the other thing in mitigation is, is we've got a bunch of new tools that I'm excited about. So we've got some new financial resources, we've got stronger partnerships, we've got greater awareness as never been before, I think, within the public sector, certainly due to the frequency of disasters. We've had some new legislation in 2018 that we use the acronym DRRA, that in my 20 years with FEMA, it's, it's the most significant mitigation legislation I've ever seen. It's astounding. But really, mitigation at the simplest level as you roll it out on a program format and we're actually organized this way is really three steps. It's one is our ability to identify risk and we have a specific expertise in floodplain management, but that's not all. Second is our ability to offer technical assistance. So whether it be advice, uh, planning tools, strategies on how to mitigate your risk, we have experts all across the peril line on how to do it. And then lastly, uh, you know, the most important of all, we have financial resources and we're bringing more financial resources to the table than ever before to assist states and communities in mitigating their risk of exposure. So maybe it's uh, from my background in working in mitigation grants. I, when I think of mitigation, I think of an actual like like a project, like we're elevating a home or we're, uh, we're seismically retrofitting a structure for, for earthquake resistance. Um, however, I also know that a huge component of mitigation is the National Flood Insurance Program. 
How does how does the NFIP work as good mitigation? The flood insurance program ha- predates FEMA f- by over ten years, so it really originally came from HUD. Uh, and when we were formed as an agency in 79, uh, FEMA absorbed it. Uh, it's really the agency's charter mitigation program. So certainly all of my predecessors as mitigation division directors, and you know them as well as I do, they all came from the flood insurance program. Um, and, you know, and, and the basic premise of the national flood insurance program is it's apparel that is not listed on your basic homeowner's insurance policy. It has to be bought in separately. So flooding, uh, believe it or not, still remains the most common, the most deadly, and the most expensive peril worldwide. Good old-fashioned flooding kills more lives, uh, destroys more property, and happens more often than any other peril. The irony is it's also the easiest peril there is to identify where and when it's going to happen. Um, it also is the most cost-affordable hazard to mitigate. Simple elevation of a home is going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage. But yet, it's the only natural hazard that people pay a premium to put themselves in it. So the price of waterfront property is not going down. So they're they're putting themselves in way. So the, the flood insurance program has a, a unique uh, role to play in every family's uh, risk management portfolio. And so your, uh, your background before FEMA was in land use planning. Now that you've worked in mitigation for 20 years, what would you say to land use planners uh, as far as how would they incorporate good mitigation into their planning? Well, planning at, at its basic core is nothing but a decision-making process. And um, uh, I found my background in land use planning actually turned out to be a terrific fit for disaster preparation and mitigation by really understanding the relationship of people and their land, and especially as it relates to natural disasters. I mean, just generally being a geographer, it it came naturally to me. But moreover, being a planner and having a college degree in planning really helped me understand many of the things that you and I have worked with all these years, Jeff, and emergency management, everything from uh, the incident command system as a decision-making organizational tree. How we do uh, uh, incident period planning, as you're aware of, is nothing really more than those three steps I talked about identifying the problem, setting objectives to them, and then marching out to accomplish them within a specific time frame. And then we go back and look at that again. And you're well familiar with that process. So yeah, I was being new to emergency management. It was really more my planning background and systems and decision making that became to be a real natural fit for emergency management. That actually makes me think, um, so the Disaster Mitigation of Act, Act of 2000 brought about the mitigation planning process. That would have been the same year that you came on board. Right. That uh, that would have been a natural fit. Yeah, it was a coincidence, by the way, but... Yeah, you didn't start that whole thing, huh? <laughs> no. When someone uh, thinks about taking on a mitigation project, let's say they live in a floodplain and their home's been flooded two or three times over the last 30 years and they get the idea to to elevate their home... Elevating a home is not an inexpensive process, right? I don't know what it costs to elevate a home. Let's say $100,000. Most most people can't put their money on $100,000 super easily. So they might say, you know, I know I've been flooded two or three times, but I just, I just can't afford to do this. How does someone come to the decision that mitigating their property is a good idea? Spending all that money makes financial sense, but also, you know, sense from all the effort that it'll take to do it. My opinion is every 
household either does or should have their own risk management portfolio. And most do, whether they view it in that vein or not, they do. So every homeowner certainly has a homeowner's insurance policy. You have car insurance and some have life insurance. And that's all risk mitigation, all of those, all of those varieties of things you're insuring against risk. So whether homeowners or, or families recognize it or not, they already have a risk management portfolio. Uh, some can go a little bit beyond that, that they have a family emergency plan. We talk a lot about that in FEMA. Families should have, an, in case of emergency, where are we going to gather? Um, some uh, have emergency supplies on hand. I certainly do. Uh, some have uh, emergency contact numbers stored on a cloud uh, in case your house burns down this afternoon. Uh, all that paper information has vanished or they have critical data digitized and stored on a cloud and they could be birth certificates, car titles and things like that. Um, you mentioned is, uh, oh, and another, another uh, common one for household risk management portfolios. I encourage people to annually to just walk around their house with their cell phone and put it on video. And just walk around every house and just inventory everything in the house about what you have so you have a digital record of its contents. Uh, you're right, though. There are more proactive mitigation um, uh, measures, uh, even having a, a flood insurance policy or, or emergency generator. And then you get into the other ones about elevating homes in flood-prone areas. Uh, we certainly, in the flood peril, uh, it, it's a, it, we've proven that every $1 invested in mitigation is going to save $7 in damages. And as I mentioned before, the uh, floodplain mitigation is the most cost-effective and cheapest mitigation there is. It goes up from there, obviously, with seismic retrofitting and things like that. But as we've determined, and you're well familiar with how we do cost-benefit analysis, we're able to determine that that money invested pays off over time. So it may seem like a big number up front, but uh, if, you, if you run the numbers over, over time, say 30 years over the, the life of a mortgage, generally you come out ahead. Absolutely. So on a more personal note, in, in 2014, your cabin in eastern Washington was destroyed by the Carlton Complex fire. So you not only work through your career to help disaster survivors, but you're actually a disaster survivor yourself. What more can you tell us about that experience and how it may have changed your perspective on emergency management? Yeah, it was devastating. Um, in fact, uh, since next week's my last week, I was supposed to be moving there the next weekend to live there is my permanent house. So I'm from Eastern Washington, so it, it, it had a great significance to me. Um, it was a significant impact on uh, me and my neighbors. We lost everything. And uh, as I mentioned before about having things stored on a cloud or, or uh, paper, important paper data digitized, we lost all of that in the blink of an eye. It was just gone. Um, and even after six years later, the property's destroyed, and it's never going to be the same. So, yeah, after all these years, and you and I have been in the field together, Jeff, is we've worked with disaster survivors, and and uh, I, I know that we're not supposed to call them victims, but trust me, when it happens to you, you feel like a victim. But uh, in hearing these stories of loss, uh, you don't really get it until you sit on the other side of the table and had that sense of loss. Now, there's some things I, looking back on it, I could have done differently. I, I've mentioned a few on here that are now part of my 
uh, my repertoire that I didn't do um, that would have saved some things. But the thing that ultimately made me whole uh, wasn't FEMA. It's because I had a basic homeowner's insurance policy. You know, that was that was my really my sole risk management uh, tool in my portfolio. And that paid off on me handsomely. I was able to put myself back on the feet after that happened. But uh, I still am actively engaged to this day on um, Meadow Valley recovery efforts uh, after all these years looking back on it. And uh, that had a profound uh, effect uh, on me, uh, certainly personally, but also uh, professionally as well, uh, being a mitigator and being a federal emergency manager. So five years on, uh, how has the Methow Valley uh, recovered from this disaster? Well, I'm proud of them. Uh, they've, they've done great work. They've got a great organizational structure. Um, and uh, they've got a lot of good, hearty souls out there. Uh, there, uh, this is nothing new to them. I mean, obviously, the peril of wildfire is one of our greatest increasing perils we're seeing across the nation, obviously, uh, California. But uh, uh, the people of eastern Washington and Oregon and parts of Idaho are no stranger, uh, and, and neither were we. Uh, when we bought there, we lived there, and we knew we lived on a high wildfire area. And uh, But the way they've been able to come back uh, and rebuild certain areas has just been has just been terrific. But I think it's generally been led uh, by the citizens themselves. And uh, you and I both have spent time in the field talking to groups that have been devastated and working with them about how to get themselves back on their feet and, and what recovery really means to them. And then it means different things to different people. But uh, uh, for me personally, it's going to be a much longer term process. I mentioned uh, new federal legislation in 2018 uh, authorized uh, specific mitigation monies uh, for fire declarations only that were really emphasizing uh, our ability to do wildfire mitigation. So there's a number of things that can be done in terms of wildfire mitigation. The most common one that we're seeing is, is reducing of, of uh, fuels. Uh, fuel reduction projects. So the risk of you can't you can't mitigate dry lightning strikes. We mitigate mitigate the consequences. Uh, 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 teaching classes on defensible space, uh, fire uh, retardant roofing materials uh, is uh, is all part of that wildfire mitigation. You're going to hear much more about that in the coming future. It, it is one of the hottest tickets in town for mitigation. Is what we're doing with wildfire. Um, all right. So we have one last question for you, and this might be the hardest one. What do you look forward to most in your retirement? Well, I'll get to sleep in maybe a little bit more, and uh, uh, we're buying a dog, so I get to raise a puppy. But uh, uh, no, I did talk about I'm still involved in some of the Medhow Valley recovery efforts. Uh, I'd like to continue that as a private citizen. Uh, some of it, because uh, it was a presidential uh, declaration as well, I, I haven't been involved with. Um, I volunteered to help with the Washington State Department of Commerce. Uh, teach land use planning short courses to new uh, uh, planning commissioners and new elected officials about what land use planning and some of the Washington planning enabling acts and uh, that and just be a, a full-time gardener and a federal annuitant. Well, Mark, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today and thank you for your many years of dedicated service and good luck in your retirement. Thanks, Joe. We've linked to this episode on our FEMA Facebook page, and we invite you to join us in the conversation in the comments. If you have ideas for a future topic, send us an email to fema-podcast at fema.dhs.gov. If you'd like to learn more about this episode or other topics, visit fema.gov forward slash podcast. Podcast.